Tell you what, you could do that all day, couldn't you? We could do all day what we did last night. That was just glorious. There's something about too, it's not just, you know, I love all of you, I love the family of Hillside, I love what God has knit together as we've gotten rooted in love with one another here at Hillside, but there's just something really special about when the whole body of Christ of a region says, we're together in something right now. And we all recognize that there are really hurting broken people out there. They walk by us, they're, they're in our businesses, they're in the cafes with us, and, and Jesus wants to do something really special to set them free, and we get to be a part of that. I don't think there is anything more awesome than that. I remembered as we were singing that, uh, one of the songs today, uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis or Wigglesworth, that was Wigglesworth, he said, when I look at myself, oh no, it was Martin Luther, just keep naming famous preachers and you'll get it right eventually, that's what you do. It was Martin Luther, he, sa he said, when I look at myself, I can't see how I could be saved. But when I look at Christ, I can't see how I can't. <laughs> Sometimes we spend so much time as Christians in this morbid introspection. I'm going to keep looking for the faults in me. I'm going to keep examining all the weaknesses in myself, all the sin that remains in me. And, and it's like we end up defining ourselves not by the fact that we got Emmanuel, the great I am lives in us yeah. Yeah. it's like we go home and say yeah 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 i know but i still blah, blah, i still do this and i still don't do that and it's like we the accuser just stands back and says you got this i'm i'm i'll move on to someone else and we we spend all this time in that and and what i want to propose to you and i share this on the podcast this week it really hit me again real hard we have this whole thing about finding our identity and and all this kind of stuff and and people go on an identity quest by looking in here, I'm gonna find myself. I remember I said that when I was in college. I'm just trying to find myself. I said, you're right with you, dude, you know? I went out to Taylor University. Dre was out there at the time we were recording, and, and I said that to this group of guys that had this, it was called Trout House, and these guys were on fire for the Lord, and at that time, I still thought people on fire were still a little weird for me. And I went in there and I said that in the middle of that. They know who I was or what I was all about yet. I said, yeah, I'm just in a season where I'm just trying to find myself. And they looked at me like I'd, I was looking for another head that grew out the side of me. Like, find yourself. You Got to find Christ, man. And, and it's the finding ourselves is not the search of life. Knowing him is the search of life. And here's the great news. We were made in the image and likeness of God. So knowing God is knowing ourselves. If we really believe that we were made in the image and likeness of God and that Christ in us, the hope of glory, is alive and well in us, then we don't need to be looking on the inside for anything. We find everything that we are in Christ. And as we learn him and study the type, the pattern, the, the prototype of all of what we are, then we really get to know ourselves. And we're gonna find that there's a lot more reason for God to love us than we thought. He's really not an angry God. He really is not a God who is eager to find fault with his children. He's eager to point out to us just how awesome we are. Well, we, as 2 Corinthians says, but we beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into that self-same image. So what do you see when you look at the mirror, saint? 
Do you, do you see all the warts and pimples and flaws? And sorry, that was a nasty picture. Do you, I mean, is that what you see when you look in the mirror? Is that what's looking back at you? I hope to change your mind today. I hope the Lord will change your mind today because that's not. What do we behold as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord? Start beholding the glory of the Lord that's on the inside. Start believing the truth about who God says that you are instead of who everybody else says that you are or worse than that, because we're our own worst critic, what we say that we are. Because we know better than anybody else alive what remains to be brought into the kingdom of heaven. We know better than anybody else. Why? Because we're the only one that knows our actual thoughts. We're all good at pretending in one way or another, and we're all good at behaving well. There's nothing wrong with behaving well when you're not feeling it, by the way. Do you know that? Somebody, a friend of mine said, you don't have to behave your emotions. He was a counselor friend. Said, Man, that's a good word right there. We don't have to act like how we feel at the moment, but there's something greater in store for us. And that's that we're actually changed and transformed and that on the inside and the outside, they match up. So what we actually see in the mirror, we're not looking for the glory of the Lord anymore because it's evident. Christ in us, the hope of glory has now become Christ in us, the glory of the Lord. Jesus was the perfect revelation of the glory of the Father because he lived perfectly. Does anybody believe that you can become perfect? Is it possible for a Christian to become perfectly holy? You took too long saying yes. <laughs> to, to disagree with that concept, and I know it's scary to think though, right? That you can become perfect, but what's the point of the Holy Spirit? To believe that is to say, I believe that God himself isn't gonna do a good enough job and he can't even change me into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what we're saying. Has anybody ever gone a day without sin? <laughs> I'll meddle it all, I'm gonna meddle today. You ever gone a day without sin? Of course you have. We're too hard on ourselves. We, we really are. I had an impure thought, I sinned. We're like Martin Luther before he read the book of Romans for himself where he used to, like if he had an impure thought, he had a, a whip and he'd flagellate himself. I had an impure thought. He drove the monk, uh, the abbot in his monastery crazy because at the end of every day, he'd confess all of his sins. And there were things like, I used too much ink when I was copying that, that page. You know, was, this is ridiculous stuff. Finally, the abbot said, I don't want to see you again for a month. You're too hard on yourself. Or he said something, I'm paraphrasing. He said it more eloquent. And that's what drove him to read the book of Romans and write his famous commentary on that book. And he finally said, we're saved by grace. There's nothing we could do to add to what Jesus did. Why are we striving so hard? Why are we trying to do what he's already done? Just chill out, rest. I mean, he didn't say it like that. They didn't talk like that in Shakespeare days, right? Just, just chill out and let Jesus do what he said he was going to do. It's so much easier that way. So I'll talk to you about strongholds today. We're going to, to this week and next week, they are houses for demonic oppression, for demonic influence, for demons to come and have a, a part in our life. I hope I put you all at rest last week that demons are not these big, scary things. I just saw at the grocery store the other day, one of the big magazines. Is Time still a magazine? Are they still in business? How are they still in business? Does anybody buy that? Money? Anyway, they're, they're, so it was there, and apparently it's the 50th anniversary this year of, of uh, The Exorcist. It came out in 1973. I knew I was really young when I watched it. I must have been like eight years old when I watched that. Freaked me out. 
And, and the title said, The Scariest Movie of All Time. And with that movie and all the other movies that, that uh, portray the demonic, is it portrays demons like they have all this power and all of this authority. And, they, and that's exactly what the devil would love us to believe. Don't, don't be talking about demons now. That's scary stuff. No, it ain't. They are not scary. Demons are not scary. Can we say that together? Demons are not scary. There's no force of hell. The devil himself is not scary. We should say that out loud too. The devil is not scary. He is insignificant in comparison to the one who lives in us. I mean, when it says greater is he than who is in you than he who is in the world, when Jesus said that, that was like a rare understatement that Jesus made. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. That's like, who are the Eagles playing today? Who? Cares? who? <laughs> oh, that's right, Monday night this week. Oh, I'm not meddling with that one. <laughs> I'll go back to my Yankees. It would be like saying... Greater are the Yankees than the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, like there might be a slight difference, a little bit better. They're just in total other leagues. There is no battle. It is a United States battleship with one of those Somalian pirate boats that they come up with. That's the contest. If there is even, That's even an exaggeration on how much the devil has. He has absolutely nothing except what we give to him by our fear he has no authority except it's barred from us. He has absolutely nothing to say, nothing that he can do to us without our permission. So permission is the issue. I want to talk to you about strongholds because this is where we give permission for the demonic influence, for demons to harass us. If you have a demon, it's like having a cold. How big is that virus that turns into a cold? I mean, you need a microscope to see it. And one of those in its own is, I mean, they're, they're all through our body all the time. And we live just fine because our autoimmune system takes care of them. You don't want to let them reproduce. You don't want to let them become billions of them by providing a good habitation for them. But that's how insignificant the forces of darkness are. So I want to share with you today, we grow what we feed. So it, last week I read to you Romans 7, and I'll have a couple more verses in there I want to review with you in a minute. But most of how we go about trying to conquer strongholds, trying to get rid of the, not doing anymore the thing we don't want to do, starting to be better about doing the things we know we should do, is that we just work up our willpower. We say, this time for sure. This time I'm going to overcome. This time I'm not going to do that thing. This time I'm going to be courageous and do that thing that God called me to do. And that's how we usually go about it. And we think that a lifelong pattern of behaving a certain way, believing a certain way, doing certain things, that all we gotta do is work up enough willpower and we'll overcome that thing. And it's like, we just wanna say to ourselves, just stop it. Have you ever said that to yourself? We've all said it to our kids, right? We just stop that. <laughs> and that's all it takes, right? That's the magic word, just stop it. And then it's over with. I remembered a, uh, <laughs> said no parent with experience ever. <laughs> so I remembered this skit that I saw years ago. Oh my goodness, the, I forget the comedian's name. What's the comedian's Bob name? Newhart. Bob Newhart. It's Bob Newhart's skit. 
I don't want to watch this because this is what we do to ourselves and this is what we do to other people when we think that we can overcome demonic strongholds in our life just by willpower. Go ahead, play it. I hope we don't get our feed cut. (laughs) 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 Oh, if only we're that simple. If only we could just, once we find out what it is, what darkness still lives in us, what evil is still alive on the inside, we can say, okay, that's it. I'm stopping it today. Wouldn't that be great? We'd all be holy. The world would be heaven on earth already in that place. The problem is that we are engaged in actual spiritual warfare at this moment. Why do we not do the thing we want to do? Why do we do the thing we don't want to do? Why do we believe things that are absolute lies? We've come to know Christ. We love his word. We believe every word of it, and yet... There's something in us that wants to believe something different and argues with God and it resists the grace of God and it makes it back to where we're just gonna strive our way into holiness and it makes life so miserable. So there's something new that happened on the inside of us when we were born again. You may have read this somewhere or heard about this, but if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation not somebody who read a self-help book and dealt with a certain problem here and now I'll deal with another one there. No, no, no. We got a total brand new start in Christ. We are a new creation or a new creature is another way of, of phrasing that. Old things have passed away. All things are becoming new. So it's the becoming new part that we're talking about right now. But it's based on a certain premise that we can't just skip over it, that you are a saint of God. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You used to be a sinner, then you got saved, and now you're a saint. As we, as we heard so well exhorted last night, the story wasn't over. I love how they have um, this ministry last night. Their um, symbol is the semicolon, and the literature major in me, of course, loves that. Because if there's a period, you don't know if that's the end of the story or not. It could be the last sentence in the story. Or there could be another sentence following it. But a semicolon is what you use to kind of put a pause in between two thoughts. And if you use a semicolon and there's nothing after it, now you got a dangling participle, which is terrible. So it's almost, you know when you end a song that's called a resolve. At the end of a song, there's a certain note that goes through a chord progression and then the song is resolved. You ever stop a song before that last note? So all the musicians know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, that is not, it feels like there needs to be more to this thing. And all of us, when we came to Christ, there was something in us that said, no, there's gotta be more. There is definitely something more. Maybe a preacher then filled in the blank. Oh, that's what's more. That's what's on the other side of this part of my life story. And that's when salvation came in and we got made into something brand new. And that's why when, when Paul exhorted Romans 12 too, he said, Do not be conformed to this world. Well, conforming is when we're forced into something that's not what we are, not what we actually do. To conform to something means it implies that our will is being violated, that something in us, that that we're not being true to ourselves, we're conforming. My my favorite song growing up uh, from my band Rush, this was... uh, it was, it was a great, because the drummer, all drummers of the 80s love Rush. It's just, a, you can't get away from it. There was one song that really spoke to me called Subdivisions, and it was about different cliques in, in school, and, and the phrase that in the chorus was conform or be cast out. Conform or be cast out. 
And that's how we were trained in life. That's how we were trained in most all of our, our social circles. Anybody skip middle school? Maybe you skipped middle school and you got to get away from this. But all of us went through this stage of life. And if we didn't deal with it well, if we didn't get secure in our identity during that time of life, or if something came in and a lie got in there and we began to believe wrong things, then we were, we were forced to behave in a way that wasn't true to what we actually are. That's conformed. For a Christian to continue in sin means we're being conformed to something that's not who we really are. For a Christian to believe anything less than God loves me, God is good, God is for me, not against me, God has a bright hope and a future in store for me, his mercies are new every morning. If we believe anything other than that, our mind is being conformed to believe something that our inner man knows is a lie. It's just not true. So sometimes, you know, when we have anxiety in life, we have this feeling like uh, something's up and I, I just feel anxious all the time. I would submit to you that the chief reason for that is because we're not living true to who we actually are in Christ. That's what brings the anxiety. It's not just fear and shame, that all, you know, judgment and all of that. That's a part of it. And especially as experience in life has happened, we messed up, somebody shamed us for it whatever, that, that we learned that, but I would pr propose to you, the main reason for anxiety is not living true to who you are. It's kind of like, I'll use lies as an example. If you're a serial liar, you have to remember every lie you ever told. Man, that is so stressful. If you lie to somebody and then you tell another lie over here, you got to remember what you said because you might say it's something different and then they, now you're caught, you're a liar. But if you always speak the truth and you're always just honest, you don't have to remember what you said last time because you'll say it exactly that way again. That's living with integrity. Yeah, now math term for you. Integrity is where we get our word integer, same root of that. And integer is what? A whole number, right? Can't be divided anymore. It's a whole number. Those are integers. And um, I think I got that right. Just, if it sounds good, just, just pretend it, just use it as an, all the math geeks out there, I, I feel this judgment right now. Like I might've gotten some, cause you're a very precise people and I probably said something wrong with that. But you get the concept that we're whole. We're not, we don't act one way over here and another way over here and another way with that group. And I behave this way when I'm with them and this way when I'm with them and this way when I'm with them. That is a stressful way to live life. So be not conformed to this world but there is something that needs to happen. Even though we are new creatures, we are in fact brand new in Christ. We still have old habits, we have old appetites, we have old beliefs, and those things die hard. Some of them need to be identified, and that's what we're gonna talk about. That's what spiritual strongholds, and especially demonic strongholds are all about. How we transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to learn how to think with this mind of Christ that we now have. And it's like there's a war between two different ways of thinking in our mind, and that is the battleground. Almost every major preacher prophet has written a book about the battlefield of the mind. Francis Frangipan wrote one. Um, uh, what's her name? Southern woman. Uh, Joyce Myers, thank you. Joyce Meyer wrote a book about it. It is the place where the conflict occurs, or at least where we find out what the conflict is. So you would then be able to prove, approve what the will of God is. It's good, acceptable, and perfect. So now, just to believe something, to know to be true, our heart is now God's heart. God has given us a new heart. 
It already loves his ways. It loves his word. We don't need it. We don't have the, the Old Testament. Jeremiah's description of the heart was that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And when we take that and try to apply it in the new covenant, Graceland world that we live in right now, we get all sorts of confused. The problem with saying, well, it's in the Bible, so it must be true. Yeah, but that was a description of the old covenant. In the new covenant, what's the promise? I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. It was Camp Hebron's theme verse this summer. Powerful, powerful truth in that. We have a new heart. It's not deceitfully wicked. It actually loves what God loves and hates what God hates. And that's why sometimes we end up loathing ourselves. Because we have on the one hand this part of us that absolutely loves righteousness, loves peace, loves joy, loves everything that heaven loves. And then we find also though that we do things that are not that way, that we live still under the old patterns and habits and ways. And so we have this war in ourselves and we end up in self-loathing. That's what happens if we think too much, try to figure it out. Anybody ever say that? Oh, I just got to figure it out. Some of the most dangerous words we ever say. I never say it anymore because I'm so dumb when I figure things out, but they get even worse than what they were before. It'd be better off if I just turn my mind off, go into my nothing box and do nothing about it than to try to figure, for God's sake, don't just try to figure it out. For your sake, don't just try to figure it out. More on that in a minute. Living any other way than out of a reality and a belief and a knowing that our heart is now like God's heart means that we're being pressured into behaving in a way that's far into our new heart. That's at the root of all of our problems. We're living life, believing and behaving in ways that are totally far into what's now alive on the inside of us. So changing the way we think is not an intellectual exercise. If it were that easy, we could just say, stop it, whenever we have a problem, and it's over. I'm just gonna think differently about this. The problem is that we already know better, and yet we find ourselves still doing it. We read that last week, Romans 7. Why do I do the thing I don't wanna do? It doesn't make sense. So it's not an intellectual exercise. We are now engaged in actual, real deal spiritual warfare. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Back to Romans 7, Paul described it like this. This is spiritual warfare. He's talking about this war on the inside of himself. He said, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Man, I don't just agree with it. Man, I love it. It makes me excited. When I, how many, you know when you started, when you got saved and you started reading the Bible, those passages that used to bother you before, all of a sudden you're excited about them? Because the spirit of truth's on the inside now and it's reading what it already knows. Did you know that? When you read the Bible, it's confirming words that are already written on your new heart. Every word of it is confirming what your heart already knows. It's just that your mind hasn't caught up because the heart's much smarter than the mind. Did you know that? I've had this, uh, I've read articles about it and I've thought about all the geniuses, the groundbreaking genius, the Einsteins, the Newtons, the, you know, the Edisons, the people that thought out of the box that before they could prove what they knew to be true, they knew it to be true. Einstein, before E equals MC squared, he had about a decade of research. He knew in his heart that it was true and in his lifetime, he never got the technology to prove his famous formula about time and space and all of this. It's now being proven, which is amazing. But he knew it in his heart. There's like a higher level of thinking that we're able to engage in. 
when we involve our full being in it. That's what the mind of Christ is like. So we joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body. Remember the one thing that we don't get rid of until the resurrection of the dead is this physical body that we live in. This body that depending how long it was before we came to Christ, got trained in certain appetites for sin, got trained in certain ways of thinking, ways of living. And so we live this whole time. You ever try to change your appetite? You ever try to like get rid of something out of your diet that you really, really love? Right, so some of my first stuff was like soda. I used to drink a two liter bottle of Mountain Dew on a Saturday while we were playing stickball and softball. It helped, man. I hit the ball much further, I think. It's like steroids, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I was so jacked up. If I had to pull an all-nighter in college, it was gonna be a two liter of Mountain Dew and a full angel food cake. (laughs) Which, look, when when you're 20 years old and you're playing water polo, swimming three miles a day for workout, you can get away with that. Except it did catch up with me and I have no gallbladder as a result. But that didn't happen in my 50s. Young people, hear me. Let my life serve as a warning. You're only going to get away with it for so long you treat your body like that. <laughs> so, but to, but to stop drinking Mountain Dew and Dr. Pepper and Coke. I still do a little. I, I drink a little. I said, I still do a little bit of Coke. <laughs> I don't do Coke. Never went down that road. I still drink. I have to have Coke with pizza and, and with Chinese food. But other than that, I'm not drinking it. I'm not doing a two liter of it at a shot anymore. <laughs> but, <laughs> but to change the appetite, there's a craving for it. There's a desire for it that's been satisfied with certain things. That's no easy task. And that's why Paul said, I find a different law in the members of my body. I have cravings, I have appetites. I know they're ungodly, I know they're unholy. I know the desire is good, but the way of satisfying that desire is not so good. And now I'm learning to have a a new way of satisfying the real desires of my heart. Do you know God loves to satisfy our desires? I thought coming to Christ meant fun's over. That's it. it. It's gonna be... You know, I might as well shave a big circle on my head and wear a robe and, and that's it. And go around uh, beating myself. And all. That's what, that was my picture of on fire for the Lord Christianity. God's just not like that. He's not like that. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He loves satisfying desire. He satisfies your desire for good, Psalm 103 says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He loves satisfying our desires. And it comes with no caffeine high and a sugar high and then crash at the end of it. Comes with no hangover. Comes with no waking up and you don't know how you got there. It doesn't come with all those kind of side effects. He loves satisfying desires, the most fun being in all creation. Whatever things that we've come up with, that we think are fun, whether they're life-endangering fun or, you know, knitting a new design, you know, whatever you call fun. God created a world that would satisfy all of that. It's really just a matter of how we go about satisfying those desires. So once our body's been trained, our being has been trained, untraining it, this is how we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, not just changing how we think, but actually having a brand new mind, 
a whole new way of viewing life, the universe, and everything. So he said, I find a different law, and it's waging war against the law of my mind. What's the law of my mind? That's the conscience. That's the mind of Christ. I've got a law that's in here. It's not a legalistic, harsh, pharisaic law. It's a way of life that is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's the best way to live. It's the best life. You know, all this stuff about live your best life. There's only one way to live your best life. And that's coming out of the mind of Christ. It's coming out of Christ in us. That takes our life and makes it supernatural, which means to be super quite naturally. That, that's what the mind of Christ, that's what life is supposed to be. And, and it's a, making me prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my memory. So that's the warfare. The warfare is in the mind. Before the original sin came the original lie. This is why the tree that God said, don't eat from that, was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why the tree of knowledge? It wasn't the tree of sin. I mean, we call it that like in kids' church. That was the sin tree. As if sin entered the world, that like sin actually became part of their body because they ate from that tree. The sin was introducing knowledge or another way of thinking. I mean, Adam and Eve, they had it all. Oh man, every time I read, there's only three chapters. I mean, the Bible is one of those get to the point kind of books, you know? It's written by men. So it's like headline news, lots of details. I'd love to know, even me as a man, I'm thinking, dude, you couldn't have spelled that out a little more. Three chapters of paradise, actually only two and a half chapters. And then there it is. And then the next chapter, somebody gets murdered. You know, it's like, you know, life comes at you fast. And they're in the garden, and they got all these trees. Who knows how many, but knowing God, it was more than they could eat from in an eternal life, which is what they had. There's a tree of life. The two named trees are the tree of life, which enables them to live forever. Jesus is that tree of life. He's the bread that came down from heaven. He is that tree of life. We were created by God to know him and enjoy him forever. That's it. That was all, the only knowledge Adam and Eve were made, meant to have was whatever they would know in their relationship with God. They walked with him in the cool of the day. They walked with him, they talked with him, and he told them they were his own. And all the joy they shared as they tarried there. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. That was life. That was what we were made to be. But then we introduced through the original lie. What was the original lie? God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you wise. He doesn't want you to become like him, which was a crazy lie to believe. This is how good a deceiver he is. I will give the devil this. He's a really good liar. Really, really good. If we understand the scriptures correctly, he convinced a third of all the angels to rebel against the Holy One on the throne. That was insane. Like my pastor used to say, when Jesus crushed the head of the serpent, he got brain damage. I mean, to think that you could overcome the one who created you, that somehow you can be strong enough. But he managed to convince a third of the angels to join him in that rebellion, and now they're fallen angels or demons. He's good. He is a good deceiver. So he went for Eve in a moment and just played on her desire. It says she was looking at the tree. This is a first tip, pro tip, how to avoid getting sucked into a certain addiction or life uh, sin issue, how to avoid it, 
Don't look at it so long. Don't keep staring at it. Don't keep thinking about it. Remove the temptation, the presence of that temptation. Every man who was introduced to pornography at 12 years old would not have been introduced, would not have fallen into pornography at that age had it not been introduced, had you not looked at it. It, it begins with looking and it says of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that it was pleasing to the eye and desirable for fruit, that it looked good, it was enticing. Now there was no, you can't be tempted with something that's not enticing. If sin wasn't so fun, nobody would ever do it. It's just that it's sin equals fun plus horrible consequence, horrible fruits that come from it. It feels good in the moment. It gives a momentary pleasure. Afterward comes the after effect that, that it's like the poison hidden in the fruit that you didn't know was there. So there she is talking with the serpent. Pro tip two on how to keep away from sin in the first place. Don't talk to the devil. Even, you know, when we talk about deliverance ministry and things like that, we don't need to talk to the demons except tell them, go. That's about the only word you need to ever say to a demon. Beat it. You can say it however you want. New York, Steve, that's my native tongue. Beat it. I won't ever say that if I'm ministering to a saint in deliverance, but that's it. But to go bad, to have a back and forth with the devil, devil is stepping into dangerous territory. That's the place where now he knows how to entice. He knows how to make darkness look like light. He knows how to, he is so good at lying. He's, he would make a great used car salesman. We have none of those here, so I could say that. <laughs> hey, look, I've met a few good ones. They're honest. They don't sell you some, but he'd be really good at it. He could talk a dog off a meat truck. He could sell snowballs to Eskimos and all the, all the pictures of what good salesmanship looks like. He is really good at making something look like what it's not even to the point where he can deceive an entire culture to call that which is good evil and that which is evil good. We're watching it happen right before our eyes, right here in the United States. Did you ever think you'd live to see people saying the things that are being said at Harvard of all places? Some of the supposed brightest minds in the world spewing utter nonsense. That's how good he is. So, the original lie preceded the original sin, but this is the thing I wish Adam and Eve would have done because Adam was right with Eve when she did this. So Eve doesn't get blamed for it. The Bible, by the way, is the only ancient story on how evil got into the world where the man is blamed for it. Every other story is like Pandora. It was the woman's fault. And there have been people I've heard say, you know, it was Eve's fault because she ate first. Yeah, but Adam, she was deceived, but Adam just ate. He did it in rebellion. He did it. I'm not, I haven't been tricked. I'm just going to do it. That's a whole different thing. But anyway, if in that moment they'd been walking with God, I wonder how long it was. Scripture doesn't say, so I won't pretend to know. Could have been days, weeks, months, maybe years. Point is they knew God. They got to walk with them and talk with them. It would be like being one of Jesus's disciples and just walking and talking with them. Why didn't Eve just say, God, is this true? The serpent over here was talking to me and he said this about you. What do you have to say about that? Is that true? Are you holding out on us? Is there something more that you have? Imagine if Eve would have just done that instead of saying, yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. I believe you. I believe God is holding out. 
I'm taking what you say right now. Yeah, why does he not want us to eat from this tree? We are free born citizens of heaven. Why should we have anything withheld from us? And she believed the lie, embraced the lie, and that seed got planted. I always wondered, why was it so bad that just one bite? Why not just one bite from that tree, Lord, to satisfy their curiosity, and then they could move on from there? Why not? Why not just let them do that? Well, the problem is you never crave that which you've never tasted. Pro tip number three for reasons to keep away from that first taste of sin and just trust the Lord. Keep away from what he says keep away from. Once you've tasted it, now you have an appetite for it, that's the beginning of all addiction. Nobody would ever become an addict if it didn't help them in some way, satisfy some need in life the first time they did it. Lies, though, the devil could have lied to her. She could have heard that lie, and she could have rejected that lie. Adam could have rejected the lie of the serpent, but they didn't. They embraced that lie, and then they took their authority. God gave them authority over all the works of his hands. That included the serpent. Do you know that from the beginning, we have authority over all the angels, all of them. They might be powerful, majestic. I have friends who are seers, so they, they see angels, they have interaction with them. One of them is especially gifted at it, Mark Krieg. He's extraordinary in this gift. And he told me, like, when they show up and just poof, enter the room, there's a reason why they say, don't be afraid, fear not is the first words angels say, because they're majestic, they're powerful, they're supernatural beings. So they're terrifying to look at, but the smallest, the least saint of God has authority over them all. So Adam and Eve had authority over the serpent, but in that moment, the serpent borrowed their authority. They ate from the tree of life, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they brought all kinds of hardship into the world. The only actual weapon that the devil has against us is his ability to deceive. His only authority is borrowed from those who have it. So with every lie that we embrace, this is going to be a two-parter I could see now. I'm going to wrap up in just a minute here just to get you thinking about some things this week. With every lie that we embrace and every decision that we make and the sin that we engage in as a result of those decisions, we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil all over again. That's why we can't just go back and blame Adam for all of our problems, much as we'd like to. Every one of us, when we hear what the devil says, we hear something contrary to what we know the word of God says, what we know God's way is, what God's, you know, um, uh, what righteousness is, and we, we choose another direction, that's us eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and saying, in effect, I know better. I know better than what the Bible says. So we're gonna introduce the topic of strongholds here, and I'm gonna read a scripture to you, and we'll see how far we go for today. But a stronghold basically is built when we know what we should do, and we don't do it. That's a seed. When, when the serpent comes and lies to us, and we believe his lie, and do the thing that he tempted us to do, we've just planted a seed in our life, for a stronghold to be built. And I'll, I'll read the scripture in just a moment. It's like uh, all over again, the drama of that Genesis 3 interaction with Adam and Eve and the serpent is played over and over again in our lives. Here's the serpent. He's telling us that God lied to us, that God is holding out or God's, you know, whatever. He's, he's not who he says he is. He's not for you. He's against you. 
and, and he can lie till the day is done. But until we embrace it and believe it and receive it as truth, it has no power over us. That's where he gets it. That's where he begins to plant things in our lives that totally transform and conform us into another way of living. So if you have your Bible, take a look at 2 Corinthians 10. I'll start in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. All right, so that would be striving. That would be willpower. That would be, stop it. That would be, I'm not going to do this thing. And I'm just going to pull up my bootstraps, resist the devil. and He's going to flee from me, even if I'm not submitted to God. And, and that's how I'm going to do this thing. And I'm going to overcome, not by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony, but I'm going to overcome sin in my own strength. I'm not going to do that thing again that I'm addicted to. I'm not going to repeat that same thing. Next time, I'm going to do the thing I know I should do. That's what, that's what that's all about. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds. That's another way of translating the same word. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So demonic strongholds are things that resist the word of God. They exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. Something in us that says, I know better than God does about anything in life is from a demonic stronghold. That is speaking the lie that we've come to embrace. The longer we believe that lie, the more we embrace that lie, the more we rehearse it over and over again in our mind, the stronger that stronghold becomes to the point where we end up doing things and we have no idea why we're doing them. We end up even doing things like, I, for me, one of them was I became, uh, I just loved beer. And I drank from Wednesday to Sunday way more beer than I could afford. At college, there's all these frat parties you could go to and stuff like that, and it's free beer, and I, I drank beer, and I just drank beer. The first time I tried beer, I hated the way it tasted. Do you know why I kept drinking beer? Because my friends were doing it, and I couldn't afford the hard stuff. So I kept drinking beer until I developed an appetite for it. Look, if you have to develop an appetite for something, it's probably not worth it. Unless like you move to a foreign country, like if, if <clears throat> we'd move to India, or if we'd move and stay in Liberia, you would develop an appetite for Liberian food. That's a bad example because it's so good. If you'd go to India and the food starts burning like every part of your body that touches it, like your finger, you eat with your hands there. And my fingers, like un it got under my cuticles and my cuticles, they were on fire. It's so hot. Put it in your mouth, your lips are burnt, your tongue's burnt. It burns all the way through till right all the way on through till it's out of you. Every bit of it. So if we'd move there, I'd have to develop an appetite for those things. If you have to develop an appetite for something that inside you know, I probably shouldn't be doing this, get away from it before you develop an appetite for it. Because once you have an appetite for it, now comes the craving for that thing. It works that way with all sin. Addiction is the easiest one to define like that, but it works that way with all sin. You can become addicted to your anger and your unforgiveness and your bitterness. We find such comfort in hating somebody that it actually feels good. 
you think about that person and how much you hate that person, and it actually has a, it makes you feel good. Makes you feel holier than thou, maybe, or for, I don't know how, I don't understand that, but that is, that, that's how it works. Demonic strongholds resist the word of God, and so it prevents the seed of the kingdom from growing roots and bearing fruits. That's what uh, the strongholds do. When we read the word and we disagree with it, there's a stronghold of thinking at work. So the good news is that God has plans to wage war with our cooperation on every stronghold in our life. There's not going to be a one left by the time he gets through with it. And you know what he does? He doesn't just demolish strongholds in our heart and our mind, but he rebuilds a stronghold of righteousness on top of it. See, the thing is, if you tear down a stronghold, and it, these are living things, by the way. Strongholds are not like, they're not stones. They're actually alive. They're, I think a root or a, um, what do you call it, a weed would be a good example. We got gardeners here. I'm almost on my way to becoming a gardener. I successfully grew some things from seeds from last year's crop. We're going to see, we're, we're growing, I'm learning. I'm being remade into Adam, the original Adam's image growing stuff. But how many of you know if you pull weeds, you're not done? <laughs> I hate that. I hate, that's the worst. I mean, all of what happened because of sin is awful. Now that, I'm, now that I like getting my hands dirty in the soil, I hate that part of the curse of sin. It's going to produce thorns and weeds now, and it's not going to cooperate with you. Man, it was like God said, Adam, even the ground's going to resist you now. All of creation, you, you introduced rebellion into the garden. Now, now the garden's going to resist you. Everything's going to fight back. And that's what strongholds are more like. They don't just come down once and you go, let's move on to the next one. There's got to be a righteous stronghold built on top of that. Because although that might have been demolished, the devil didn't throw away the blueprints. That weed... Oh man, the tiniest little seed, the, the like imperceptible seed of that thing. The imperceptible seeds of that stupid morning glory that I planted eight years ago is still, it's everywhere now in all my flower beds. And the seeds are so tiny, so annoying. They just come back every year and you pluck them out. And I think I got it all. I dug two feet down the entire flower bed, put new soil on top and boop, there they are again. It's ridiculous. I'm like, goodness but that's how powerful that that's just as in the natural so it is in the spirit I'm, i mean if you like morning glory i'm not saying they're that's demonic but they do have pointy twisty little leaves and they look like the rumor weed from veggie tales just saying don't let those little pretty blue flowers fool you they twist around they choke the life out of your tomatoes and raspberries and I hate them like I hate demonic strongholds. <laughs> I might have a stronghold. I might need deliverance from my hatred for this flower. But it's an illustration of how these things work. And sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, okay, I haven't been tempted for a few years. And so I'm going to maybe, you know, maybe I'll indulge a little bit in that. And then we find out that, oh man, there's that weed looking for an opportunity to grow. These require constant tending. But the best way to overcome it Build a righteous stronghold on top. Did you know, this is some, there's your homework for this week. Just a couple more points and we're going to go. This is something I'd like you to meditate on this week and, and talk to the Lord about. What happened in 
some part of your life before now, which way on your timeline would be going in the past? This way, right? It's backwards for me. This is today. We're going back in your timeline. That, that works for you? Okay. So we're going back in your timeline. Somewhere along here, seeds got planted, lies you believed. The enemy came, uh, something happened in your life, and it planted a seed. Like I had one, we, uh, we went to see a, a, a counselor um, who did really powerful inner healing stuff and just asked, you know, look back, and you got father issues, so what's a memory? And immediately I remembered something that happened when I was like eight years old, and I was riding my bike, and the chain kept coming off. So I asked my dad to show me how to do it, and he pushed me out of the way. He said, I'll just do it. And it just made me feel so insignificant, so little, and so unvalued. And like, I want to learn how to do things. I want to be a man one day. I'm going to be able to put my own chain back on my bike. Uh, can I just say, this is what uh, John, this counselor said, if you remember it, it's important. I mean, we, we, I was like 50 years old when we did that or so. And uh, that was a, what, 38-year-old memory that immediately sprung to mind when we were dealing with father issues. So ask the Lord, what are some things that have happened in my life that caused me to believe things that I know to be absolute lies? That they are not true. Everything you say is true. You are the embodiment of truth. Jesus said it, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. When he prayed for us, his word is always true. So why do we believe something different than that? Because whatever the enemy came after, especially the younger you were, this is just how the enemy works. The younger you were, you know, when you were little, when you're eight years old, you're not thinking things through. You're not, all right, so my dad, that happened to my dad, and that's why he's doing it to me. And, you know, his dad did it to him, and he, doesn't, he hasn't been, he's not saved yet. He hasn't been transformed. So he's just repeating what his father taught him. And, you know, I can forgive him and let that go. You don't think like that when you're eight, but you do make conclusions when you're eight. I am insignificant. I am unimportant. I'm not valued. I am useless. I have nothing to offer the world. These are the conclusions, and this more on this next week. These are the conclusions we could reach when those seeds get planted if we believe what the enemy wants us to believe about that circumstance. So look back over your history and God, where did this, this certain things happen to me that really went after my identity? Because here's the thing, whatever the enemy comes after in us is probably gonna be our ministry. He doesn't attack us in points of weakness. He's not afraid of our weakness, he loves our weakness. He'll fan the flame of our weakness. He's afraid of our strength. He's afraid of what we will do if we ever get a hold of our identity and we realize that we are part of the embodiment of Jesus Christ in the earth. Do you know how much the devil hates Jesus? He hates him with the purest hatred that evil can hate with because he totally destroyed everything he did. Everywhere he went, he was destroying the works of the devil. For this, he even said, for this is the reason why I was manifest, to destroy the works of the devil. And you were made to destroy the works of the devil. So the devil's not particularly prophetic. He doesn't know the future. The devil doesn't have that ability. Only God sees the end from the beginning. The devil lives within time. He's a created being. He doesn't know the future, but he does know the word. And he studies us. 
You guys should read the screw tape letters sometime. It's fantastic work, C.S. Lewis. We're about to read it again. Um, I'm going to read it again anyway, so which my kids is interested in doing it with me. But it's about a demon training another demon on how to trip somebody up. So he's got an assignment of this guy, becomes a Christian, and he's gone. Let me teach you how to make him stumble and make him fall. And that's what the devil does. He studies us. He looks for especially what has God said about us. So when you get a prophetic word, every time somebody gets a prophecy, I write it down and then I pray. Because I know what the devil's going to try to do with that word. He's going to try to destroy the gift. He's going to try to rob you of what God's destiny is as early on as possible. And that's why these things often happen in childhood. It's like he can look at us and read. He goes, oh, I think that, guy, that guy's going to be a leader one day or she's going to be an amazing teacher one day. And so this attack comes to try to, try to shut us down and build a uh, demonic stronghold on where there should be a righteous one. And, that, and that's how he works. So God's power is more than enough. But we can't cast out a demon or tear down the stronghold that it lives in if we're still enjoying its company. So this is where, remember I shared last week, resist the devil and he will flee from you, comes with a clause before that that is so important. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we have to understand that if we are still feeding this stronghold, if we are meditating on that one we're not forgiving, if we are constantly engaging in the behavior that just gets us more and more addicted to that sin pattern and habit in our life, if we continue to rehearse the images that bring fear into our lives and we continue to feed ourselves on sources that reinforce our anxiety and depression and, and all of that. You know, I, I had a friend in high school that tried to commit suicide and he listened to like the, the 80s where the punk band era, you remember that? Um, I can't even, Depeche Mode and some of these other, I forget some of the other bands that 80s were a decade I'm trying to pretend never happened. <laughs> but he was depressed and he started listening to these bands like The Cure, that was one of the bands he listened to and had all these songs about suicide and he kept listening to them over and over and over again and eventually he actually attempted suicide. Why? He kept feeding those lies. He kept to, you know, just imbibing on this hopeless life stinks and then you die kind of worldview and eventually he acted upon it. Thankfully he didn't die and um, he ended up being pretty amazing after that attempt. So I think I'll just close with this one last thought. The reason why this is so important, why we're going to spend some time on this is because strongholds and deliverance ministry and inner healing, they all, they all go together as part of the full package of discipleship. This is just part of discipleship. There's not a one in this room that doesn't have strongholds remaining. Now, some of those may manifest more strongly than others, but there's not a one among us who is sin-free. Not yet. We're all in process. So I want to remove the shame. Would you be ashamed of yourself if you got a cold? Man, you know, that was what was so weird about COVID. Right? <laughs> Any of you ever get COVID and then you were shamed for getting the disease? You must be one of those unmaskers or anti-vaxxers or you don't wash your hands or you know whatever and there was all this shame that got attached to it that was so, what was so weird and why we knew is this is spiritual this isn't just the disease 
there is something spiritual going on because who gets ashamed of catching a disease? No more should we be ashamed of the fact that demons found their way in and were infected with something. That's really, if I, can I just, I want to make sure that we feel comfortable with the biblical language of deliverance. Having a demon doesn't mean you are possessed and you're going to look like that little girl in the exorcist. That, that's such a lie. That's a lie to reinforce lies. That's not how it goes. It's just like being sick with a disease. In fact, you know that when God was introduced as Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord who heals you. He wasn't healing broken bones and uh, he wasn't making the lame walk and the blind see. It was when Israel had to come face to face with their bitterness. It was at the waters of Marah. And he said, the first thing I'm going to heal has nothing to do with your physical being. I want to heal you on the inside because you've been under the influence of the demons of Egypt for 10 generations. And I'm going to have to deal with that or you're never going to enjoy all my benefits. You'll never understand me. Strongholds are bases of operation for demons to work in our lives. And what strongholds do is they provide invitations through open doors. We'll look at what those open doors are next week. What are some of the open doors that give legal right to the enemy to come and invade our body or our spiritual body? What are some of the ways that we actually partner with hell even when we're pursuing Christ, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly? And we'll look at some of those things next week. How do strongholds get planted? How do we provide access for a devil who has no authority to now have authority in my life? That's what we'll look at next week. Because I've got good news. I've got good news. The good news is there is no shame in having strongholds any more than having a cold. But the Lord who heals is knocking at the door of every one of your strongholds. Can we stand on our feet? Just, um, just allow the Lord for a moment to take you on a journey in your mind. We do that? Lord, I ask you for an encounter right now with the truth. And I ask you to open the eyes of our heart that we would see what's the stronghold right now that you're working on? What is the thing that's becoming manifest in my life right now? I ask the Lord that. What's becoming manifest in my life that makes me do the thing I don't want to do? What's the thing that you're doing that you don't want to do? These things are very easy to identify. This is a, a quick class, an obvious 101, how to know that we have a demonic stronghold in us. We do the thing we don't want to do, and sometimes we don't do the thing that we want to do. That's it. It doesn't get any more complicated, no three-step process. So I ask the Lord and ask yourself, let your spirit commune with the Spirit of God for a moment and ask, what is that thing right now that's becoming manifest? Lord, I pray that you will bring it to the surface all the more. You're going to hate me for this, but Lord, would you even turn up the heat in our lives to bring it to the surface even more? Would you make us so uncomfortable seeing what demonic things are still alive in us that we come to loathe them enough to finally kick them out the door, that we finally shut the door on those things. Lord, I, we invite you to search us and know us. Try us. See if there's any wicked way in us. Or identify the wicked ways in us so that we could be led anew in the way everlasting, way that brings life. Lord, I pray this would be a joyful experience. 
I pray that this would be so wrapped up in your love that, that every bit of this exercise that we do, the, prevent us, Lord, and keep us from the way of morbid introspection, but rather keep us in the cross, keep us in the way of the truth and the life, keep us in Graceland. Remember that there's absolutely nothing you didn't know that we're bringing before you right now. There's no thought of our mind that you knew it before we even thought it. Not a single one missed your gaze. You knew it. I pray you'd put us at rest about this, that you would make us okay. Not living with these things, but okay with acknowledging we have it. Confession, by the way, let me just pause and do a brief, very brief. Confession simply means to agree with. So when we confess our sins, for example, we're agreeing with God, I am guilty of violating myself, of violating the way of life that's in me. I'm guilty of violating Christ in me. I agree with that judgment. And so I'm confessing that to you. Why do we confess? Because when the Father hears that confession, whoosh, comes the grace, comes the mighty rushing wind of love and acceptance and, and the Father saying, I'm so glad you can see it because I've been eager for you to be free of this thing. I see it robbing you of life and joy and peace and I'm as ready to be done with it as you are. So let's journey in this thing together and let's see that stronghold come down and you're gonna love what I build on top of it. <laughs> This is going to be like taking a toxic wasteland and turning it into Disneyland. All right, not Disney. I know that. I shouldn't have. Better metaphor from that. <laughs> a fun amusement park on top. What, what is it? Knobles. Maybe I'm going to put Knobles. I almost said Dollywood. But Knobles Grove is better. I'm going to put Knobles Grove on top of what used to be a toxic wasteland in your heart. That's his purpose for you. That's his design for you. And if it hurts when he does it, one more story. I know I keep saying I'm wrapping up. But this is me wrapping up. One more story that I think will amuse you. Because it, it can be painful and we can interpret, and, and this is one of our strongholds we've got to watch for, we can interpret the pain of God dealing with issues in our lives as though God's now pouring out his wrath on us or he's punishing us in some kind of way. And the story that just came to mind was um, when I was 15-ish, I started working for my pediatrician. He needed some work done in his house. So I was painting and weeding and doing this, all this kind of stuff in his house in Queens. And he had this little yippy dog. You know what I'm talking about. It was like a big yippy dog. I forget what breed it was, but it was, it was, and it would not stop barking at me all day. It was behind a fence, thankfully, but all day, wherever I was, it was. It started to look more like a football every day to me. <laughs> all right? And then came this one day where I forgot to close the gate behind me and the dog got out and bit me on my calf. I mean, it was a, and then it was a football. <laughs> unapologetically that thing got air I didn't kill it but it got air and then my doctor came out the pediatrician came out and he was old school all right he was like he always I thought he was 70 years old when I first met him and he was still 70 years 40 years late he always looked old to me but he was old school doctor black bag you know with the stethoscope in it house calls he was that guy <laughs> so he comes out and he goes oh my goodness and he threw the dog in the house and then he came out and said sit down so he got because I had puncture wounds, he got a Q-tip and alcohol. And you know what he did? 
He dipped it in the alcohol and he starts swabbing around and those things there more than the bite. I would have kicked him, but I was terrified of that man. <laughs> and he starts digging around and I'm, ah, that's so painful. But I didn't get an infection. I didn't get, ra- that dog definitely had rabies. <laughs> I didn't get a disease. Why? Because I was willing to submit to the pain of him cleaning out that wound before it could get infected. And that's sometimes the pain that we're enduring. It's not God punishing you. It's God cleaning that thing out because he knows what that infection will do if it sets. If it gets in you, it can kill you. It's so powerful. If we let it in, let the Lord apply that swab in alcohol. It doesn't always hurt that much, but the deeper the wound, the more painful it is to remove. It's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. And I love you too. Have an awesome week in Jesus. Amen. Take this.